My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I want to share a story with you that happened this uh, week. Uh, my wife and I recently uh, moved. Well, not recently. It was January. You know, I'm getting old now, 30 years old, right? It's like, oh, recently, five months ago. I know. I just say that to get the laughs out of you. Um, I, tell my, I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, one day my daughter, who's one years old, is not going to laugh at my jokes anymore, and it's going to hurt. Because right now, I'm really funny. You know, I'm really, really funny. Um, so anyways, this, mor- or this week on Tuesday morning, I am sitting there. I set my alarm for 5 a.m. because that's what I do on Sunday through Thursday. I'm not going to say I get up at 5 a.m., but I set my alarm for 5 a.m., all right? And uh, I set my alarm and I, it goes off and I do the typical thing. I just kind of hit either the snooze button or I turn it off and I toss and I turn a little bit and, I, and I'm going. And all of a sudden I hear my phone do this two vibrates back to back like a and I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. We live where there's kind of some construction going on right now, so it's not um, too crazy for someone to be walking past our house or anything like that, but this is my ring doorbell going off that came with the house, and it's letting me know that there's a person at my front door, and I'm like, ah, that's kind of weird, and then I actually bought another camera to put on the side of my house, and that camera's going off too, so not only that, I I see that someone's at my front door, and I see someone's at my side, I'm like, man, that's really weird, so I open up, you can look at the video footage, I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden, I see someone, And I don't just see someone, I see my patio heater bobbing up and down, going off my porch down the side of my house. Um, And so immediately I'm going, I roll out of bed and I'm running down. I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm going to get him. And so I run and I go down my stairs and I check the front door just to make sure I'm not seeing things. The patio heater's gone. It's just a little one. You know, if you go into Costco, you can buy these big like mushroom type heaters. You can see mine's just like a little mini one. I picked it up for 20 bucks. It's not worth much to me. It's like a hundred bucks brand new though. Um, and, but, but I see it going. So then I run out the back door. I'm looking, we live kind of on a carriage housing. I'm looking down the street, both sides. I don't see anyone. I'm 90, about 90 seconds behind them too. If I look at the footage correctly. I'm just really letting you in on the details because it's really important. And so I've been telling everyone this story all week. So you might as well get to be a part of it as well. And uh, I'm, I'm, I look, I'm like, all right, I'm hopping in my truck. I'm going. So I hop in my truck. I start driving around. I'm like, I'm going to go find them. I know what they're wearing. I know what it is. I drive around the block a little bit, try to see if I can find anything. Nothing. And so I'm like, I'm all discouraged about it. I'm like, man, it's my patio heater. I haven't used it in months, but 
you know, I was going to use it tonight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, kind of the morning settles down, right? And my wife and I are obviously excited. But one of the first things she says to me is she goes, you know, I told you if we put that thing out front, someone was going to steal it. And I'm like, I have nothing to say to her. I'm like, she's right. Um, cause it used to be on our back patio and then we moved it to the front patio to create some space and stuff. And obviously I'm sitting here going, man, I just lost to my wife and I just lost the patio heater. Tuesday has been a day of loss and it's only 5:45 AM. <laughs> and I tell you that just to, just to have some fun with you this morning. Uh, but more to kind of, th- I was, it got me thinking about this idea of loss. And so many things that we have lost over the years in our lives, so many things that we have lost over um, specifically this last year, if we're honest. And so I, I, I joke around about a patio heater, but really um, I would say that we have lost a lot this last year. Um, and some of us have really lost a lot over our lives. And my question for us this morning is, have you lost something? Have you lost something Recently, Have you lost something over this past year? Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a spouse, a friend, a person, a relationship. Maybe it was an opportunity. Maybe it was, maybe it was just a way of life. Like, man, we all lost a way of life this last year. We've lost, like, what was normal is no longer normal. And that's hard. That's hard. And so I would say to categorize um, this past 12 months, 15 months, whatever you want to say, man, it has been tough. It has been challenging and it has come with a lot of loss. And some of us hasn't been 15 months. It's been month, It's been years. It's been so much more than that. It's like, man, this life has been a life of loss. I'm afraid to hold on to anything anymore. And as we get kind of thinking about the emotions and the things that come when we lose things that are so close and so dear to us, I think it's so great for us to be able to go to the gospel and engage the story today of the resurrection. And the resurrection, is a, it's, a, it's a powerful story about how Jesus conquers death. But above all, what we get to see from John's perspective is how Jesus engages a, a few of his closest friends about their loss that they feel. Because to them, they didn't, to them, Jesus is dead at this moment. Jesus is buried in a tomb. Jesus is not alive. Jesus was everything though. He was a teacher, a mentor. Um, man, he was so much, he was the Messiah to their lives. And so they, all of a sudden, we, we engage the scene on a Sunday morning and we see people who are lost and at despair and don't know what to do because everything they believed for the last three years of their life, depending on how long they were in the ministry following Jesus, is gone. I mean, Jesus came in and was like, hey, I'm the Messiah, which they thought meant we're, I'm, he's going to overthrow Rome. They're under Roman rule, Roman oppression, all these things. And in their minds, Jesus is going to deliver them from that. That's gone. Jesus came on the scene and Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, I see something in you. I believe in you. I'm going to invest in you. That's gone. Like this guy changed everything for these disciples and all of a sudden it is gone. It's, it's, they are feeling the emotions and the pain of this loss. But not only is it gone, it happened really, really quick and unexpectedly for them. 
See, they were one moment, they're sitting there at the Last Supper. They're sitting there at a table having their last meal together. Jesus is sharing things about the Holy Spirit. He's sharing about abiding in his love. He's sharing all these lessons, this, this farewell dialogue we'll see. And they're learning all these things and soaking this in. And Jesus is also sharing about the fact that he's about to die. And they, they don't understand that. That doesn't register with them all the way. They don't, they don't get it. But yet Jesus is telling them these things and all this stuff. And then moments later, he's being handed over, betrayed. He goes to the cross, dies for the sins of the world. And here they are without the very man who changed everything they ever believed. It's a loss. It's a big loss. We know how the story ends. We run to the end. We go, man, Jesus is alive. Jesus is well. But we have to engage it from where they're at. Because when we do, I believe we understand how the Bible relates to really where we're at today. If we go to the end, we miss the middle of what Jesus is trying to do and engage us in our pain. Engage us in our loss. And so I want to I wanna come on the scene of what was such a quick experience of losing Jesus and we have Mary Magdalene who's showing up at the tomb because she wants to put the proper spices on Jesus's body because she didn't get to do that it all happened so quick and so that's where we engage the story today is Mary Magdalene showing up it says early on a Sunday morning while it was still dark Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance she ran and found Simon Peter And the other disciple, who's known as John in this instance, the one whom Jesus loved, she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, most of us, we think resurrection. Man, this is awesome. Mary's showing up on the scene. She isn't thinking resurrection. She's thinking grave robbers. Someone came and stole the body of Jesus. That's what she's thinking. That's the first thought that's going through her head is that someone came and stole the body. I need to go get the other disciples and I need to bring them back here and let them see. And so that's what she does. She goes and she tells them, Simon and John, and says, come on back, come see. And they show up on the scene and they investigate it for themselves. It says, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, this is John, by the way, he's kind of like competitive if you haven't picked that up, um, also went in and he saw and believed for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. So here we have, all of a sudden, it's, it was Mary. She goes and gets John and Simon Peter. They come back to the tomb. They go inside the tomb. They investigate it. They look at it. And what they see are the linens that would have been wrapped around Jesus's body are nicely sitting there as if the body of Jesus went right through them. And so they're looking at this and they're seeing it. And then the cloth that would have been over Jesus's head is actually nicely folded up to the side. And so I just want to, I spend a moment here to tell you this because this is where we have to remember as we engage scripture that we are looking at what what is considered a historical document. And so this is John, the writer of this testimony saying, hey, this is real. Jesus rose from the grave. This isn't grave robbers. If grave robbers were there, the, the linens would have been all over the place. The face cloth would have not been nicely folded. It would have been a mess because all they were there to do is get the body and get it as fast as they can. John's going, hey, let me tell you something. The linens were like nicely there. 
like almost in the shape of his body, you could say. And so he's trying to tell us something that's saying, hey, I'm, I'm proving, I'm testifying to the fact of the resurrection. And it's at this moment that I believe. I have come to the belief that Jesus is, has risen from the grave. And so when we engage John, we engage the Bible, we have to remember this is his testimony. This is what he's saying about Jesus Christ, that this is real And sometimes we forget that as we engage the lens of scripture. And so because of the resurrection being such an important part to our faith, John is very careful to put this in here, into his account, that actually our whole faith hinges off the resurrection of Jesus. I want to show you this scripture from the Apostle Paul. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty in your sins. Jesus comes to die for the sins of the world. That's what he comes to do. There is a wedge between us and God, and that is sin. And therefore, we cannot have this intimacy. We cannot have this relationship with God because our sin separates us from a holy God. And so the apostle Paul saying, if Christ has not been raised, if his death is not sufficient, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if your hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. He's, he's making sure that we understand something about the claim when we say that Jesus is risen from the grave. First off, what we need to understand by Jesus' resurrection, if Jesus rose from the grave, then he did exactly what he said he would do. That's it. So if Jesus did exactly what he said, then we can count on everything else that Jesus says in scripture as well. If he doesn't rise from the grave, well, then we can't count everything else. It proves he's not a false prophet or just a man, but that he's actually the Messiah. And by raising Jesus from the dead, God claims that Jesus' death is sufficient for our sins. He's claiming that. And that same power that, rose Jesus, that, that raised Jesus from the dead is actually available to you and I. And so as we look at that power, we go, man, we can experience resurrection. We get it. Death is not the end for us, that we actually live beyond where our bodies fail us in this world when we call on the name of Jesus to be true. And so John is making a very important point here for us to understand why the resurrection is so important to our faith, that everything hinges on this. If Jesus is not risen from the grave, then we're all showing up here for nothing. This is just an empty gathering. We're still waiting, we're still hoping. But we gather because of him rising from the grave. There is power and that power is available to you and to me that we can be cleansed and we can be ridden of our sin in our lives and the mistakes and the failures and the hurt and the pain that we have caused so many. That there's hope for that. But now I want to I shift back and really and, and focus on the emotions of what are going on in this scene. And so as we do this, we realize that Peter and John, they leave the scene, they, they go back, and we're here just with Mary at the tomb. And Mary's at the tomb, and all of a sudden she's just weeping and crying, and she looks inside and she sees two angels at one point, and they go, why are you crying, Mary? Like, why are you so upset? And she goes, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And she's still crying and she's about to leave. And all of a sudden, who she believes is the gardener standing next to the tomb, ask her the same question. And she says back, she says, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him. Mary is so concerned about the body of Jesus. 
Like she wants that body because she wants to anoint it. She wants to put the spices on it. She is so focused on the physical presence, the physical body of Jesus. And it's at this point that we realize that the very person who she thinks is the gardener is not actually the gardener, but it's actually Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, he says to her, Mary, Mary. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your, fa- and your Father, to my God and your God. I think what's so interesting about this is the words that Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. Like Mary's like come and she sees him and she's going, man, I'm, I'm just gonna hug him. I'm gonna embrace him. We get that, we understand that. But Jesus is saying, don't cling to me because I've yet ascended to the Father. Jesus is trying to be really specific, but also helps us understand the motives of Mary. Mary wants the physical presence of Jesus. Not only that, she believes with the resurrection that everything's gonna continue back to the way it was before he died on the cross, that they would continue to have the same relationship and relate in the same way, person to person. That's what she's clinging to. And so therefore Jesus is trying to tell her, no, 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 I'm about to ascend. The Holy Spirit's about to come. There's gonna be a new way to relate to me that is gonna be more intimate and more direct access. Don't cling to the old things. And, but we understand, Mary, and when I see her clinging to this old way of relating to Jesus, I, come, I, I go, I get it. Like if I lose someone, if I, if I lose someone so close to me, if my daughter goes missing for a moment or I don't know where she's at, like all of a sudden you find her and you're like, come back here. I'm gonna hug you really, really tight and I'm gonna grab you and I'm gonna grasp you and my grip's gonna get firmer and tighter and I'm like, you're never gonna go away again. You're never gonna grow up. We're gonna lock the doors on this house. You don't get to go anywhere. You got one little bit of freedom and it it made me scared, right? You guys are like, I'm learning a lot about you this morning, Taylor. Security cameras, locking doors, all kinds of stuff. It's okay. I'm hoping to see a counselor this summer. Do you know a good one? No. but what do, we, what do we do when we feel like we've lost things in our lives? What's our natural response? Our natural response is to do exactly like Mary. We cling, we grab, we, we go, man, I, I'm gonna hold on tighter and I'm gonna hold on stronger. And if anything, we've seen a lot of that in the last year or even over our lives. Because many of us, I would say, have lost relationships This last year, many of us have lost friendships and that could be because of small hurts. It could be because of big hurts. It could be because of political stances. It could be over so many things. We have lost relationships for various reasons. And when we lose relationships, the first thing I think we try to do is maybe grasp the normalcy of when the relationship kind of feels like it's normal sometimes. Like, oh yeah, this is so good. This is what it used to be like. And then that thing comes up or something comes up. Or maybe it's like when we lose a friend, one of the things we grasp to is the friends that we do have at that moment. Like we pull them closer. We're like, man, you come here, you come here, you come here. We're never getting in a fight, all right? And if we're getting in a fight, we're gonna settle it right here, right? Like that's what we do because we wanna grab what we can control. We wanna grab things and not let things change on us. I think the same thing happens when we lose lives, 
when we lose people close to us. We have lost people this last year, whether it be a death of some sort, whether it be COVID that caused that, whether it be something else, some traumatic, or maybe it was just, man, their time was done and God had called them on to the next thing. We have lost lives. And when we lose people we love that are so close to us, we like to grab on tight then too. We like to grab onto their memories. We like to retell them. We like to tell their stories so that their legacy stays alive, that they stay alive. And I say it's good. I mean, I think we all like that. But then sometimes we start grabbing the people closest to us as well then and go, okay, you can't leave me. You can't leave me because I just lost someone as well. And we, we, we go beyond people though. We go, we go into things. We go into job opportunities, dreams, personal endeavors, we start, so many of us lost that this last year. Little things, little moments, little events we were supposed to have, little celebrations and things like that. We lost those this last year. And when we start losing those, and we start grabbing as well in that moment. Well, I didn't get, the, I didn't get to celebrate this this last year. Or I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get to go pursue my job or I lost my job. You know, and so what we do is we start grabbing and we start grasping for control or something that we think we've earned. The other thing we've seen this last year is what, is, what has felt like maybe an infringement on our rights. Like we come in and we, and we believe that we have, we have freedom and we have so, and that when we're losing that, what we wanna do is we wanna hold on tighter, we wanna leverage, we wanna go and we wanna go to rallies, we wanna go to um, whatever you wanna say, whatever statement you wanna make, we, we make it because we wanna hold on tight to what we think we're losing. We, don't, we wanna hold on tight to the way things are. It's human nature. We all do it and it looks different from from situation to situation, from person to person. We grab on and we hold on tight because we don't like change. We don't like pain and change causes pain. And so that's what we do because we like life on our terms and we like it when we can control it and we like it when we know what to expect. And if anything has happened this last year is we've learned and we've been forced with something that is really hard for us to accept is that we actually don't control anything. That we actually, the more we live, the more loss we're going to encounter. The more time we spend on this earth, we are going to lose people. We're going to lose relationships because they're going to change. People are going to go into different paths of life from us. And what we can sometimes do is we can hold on to trying to create that same environment, that same stage of life, that same space where it's like, no, 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 this was the sweet spot. This is what I really want. And we do a lot to hold on to that. And we see Mary grasping at Jesus because what Mary wants most is to have that same relationship with Jesus at that moment. She's like, wait, wait, we, the last three years have been the best thing ever. Can we just keep this going? Now that you're back, now that you're alive, can we just continue to relate the same way? Can we just have your personal physical presence among us? And if we know our scripture and we know it, Jesus was very clear when he told them before he went to the cross, he's like, it's actually better for you that I go. It's better for you that the change happens in your life because then the Holy Spirit will come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, then 
through the Holy Spirit, I will come and reside in you. Jesus will live in us. We'll have direct access. So it's actually better. But when change and loss happen, it's hard. But I believe they're great. I'm going to say this so casually. I believe that pain and loss can be some of the greatest reminders that this place is not our home. That there's something in our souls that is so much deeper and so much bigger that we are destined for, that we were made for. And I believe that is found in Jesus in eternity. And that can still be very, very hard to swallow. And so what I want to speak into the rest of my time this morning is the promise. You know, a lot of times we come to church and even me, it's like, I'll give, I, I challenge us. I challenge us to do something. I challenge us to go and live differently. We let the scripture do that in us. But the other thing scripture's really good at is speaking to the promise. Speaking ahead, that we have something to hold on to. That as we look at this resurrection, there is a promise ahead of us in this life. But I want to talk about the emotions that get in the way of the promise. Because there are. And what we see in Mary's situation, Jesus had three different appearances in this chapter to what I believe are three different emotions and three different feelings. And Mary's emotion is despair and confusion. And Jesus shows up on the scene and what's he say? He goes, Mary, Mary, Mary. He just calls her by her name. It's like, that's it? He just, just calls her by her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just calls her by her name. And all of a sudden, she recognizes that voice, recognizes that the, all the moments probably they've had, a flashback going through all this stuff, and all of a sudden goes, wait, 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 you're my teacher. You're here. Oh, my gosh. And I believe that in our moments of confusion, in our moments of despair, when we feel all is lost, Jesus is sitting there, and he is calling us by our name. He's going, Taylor, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm with you always. I'm close. I believe in you. You're not forgotten. You may feel forgotten. You may feel like everything's all over the place and that you've lost so much in this, in this life, but I'm right here. And so in your moments of despair, in your moments of confusion, in your moments where you feel like you just want to give up, I believe the greatest thing you can do in those moments is be quiet and just listen for God and to let him whisper your name because he knows your name. He knows who you are. He made you. It's very personal between you and him. But the noise sometimes can drown out the name. The next situation that Jesus enters into is with his disciples and he engages them in their fear. He engages them where they're at. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're fearful. This is, this is the disciples. Look at them. It says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They're behind closed doors, and they're locked because they're in fear. Now, let me remind you, the disciples, when Jesus was with them, they were like marching into the synagogue. They had a little swagger. They're coming in and they're going, yeah, what's up? We're here. We got Jesus. Jesus is gone. And they're going, Hi, lock the doors. Lock the door. They're coming for us next. 
Look at the contrast. There's moments where they're like, I guess we'll go and die with you, Jesus, when he's there. He's gone, they're like, keep him out. Keep him out. We're not dying. You can see the fear. You can see everything that's going on, that his presence wasn't there. But then all of a sudden, he speaks these words to him. He says, peace be with you. It says it right here, right there. Peace be with you. Now, most of us look at the word peace and we go, oh, yeah, like, let's have peace. Like, let's be tranquil and let's be not scared and, you know, all these things that we think peace means, which are very true, but that's only half the picture. When Jesus says, peace be with you, yes, it's a greeting at the time, but he's also using the word shalom. He's saying shalom. And what that means in that moment is so much more than what I can probably explain in just about the next 60 seconds. But what he's saying is shalom. In other words, have peace because the peace that you, the peace that you need is to be reconciled back to God that you had sin in your life, that you were apart from God, that you, were in a rela- that you didn't have a relationship with God, but that now you can have peace because you're reconciled because of my death on the cross. And now that you can have peace with God, you can have peace with others and you can have peace within. Because when we are sitting in a place of despair, anxiety, when we are not right with God, when we are not right with our Father in heaven, we can feel it. It impacts us it is in our bones and Jesus is saying to them I know you're scared of Roman soldiers I know you're scared of religious leaders I know you're scared of all of them but you need to know something the only thing you need I've already given you peace shalom you don't need to be afraid Jesus is speaking to a a, a peace that is experienced only in him He's saying, man, I want you to experience a peace and wholeness with your Father in heaven, with those around you, and with yourself, which means spiritual, emotional, physical peace, a whole being. And he's speaking that to his disciples, and he's saying, you can have that now, because I have died on the cross. And so you may be wrestling with anxiety, you may be wrestling with fear, You may be crippled or struggling to get out the door and you may be having some of the worst mental health issues that you can possibly find. And I know that sometimes this doesn't feel like the most um, helpful thing, but I truly believe that when you listen and you hear that Jesus speaks peace over you, when you hear that for what it really is, I believe that'll change you. I'm not saying it'll make everything go away, but I believe that'll change you. I believe it'll give you confidence. I believe it'll, it'll speak into areas of your life. The word of God is active and alive and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and that it will pierce you. That Jesus is speaking that peace over you. That no matter what's going on, that you would experience that shalom because you are forgiven. And that helps, that speaks to every area of our lives. And then the last thing we see Jesus come to is Thomas, who's the doubter. And so the third thing that you could uh, say that Jesus comes into the emotion or feeling is doubt. And so one of his disciples, Thomas, was not present when Jesus first appeared to the group. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And so Thomas, all of a sudden, he gets a bad, bad rap, like, for some reason, everyone thinks that his reputation is all about 
doubting, but what we tend to think behind this is that he actually represented the belief of the entire group. And so here we have Thomas who's actually doubting and he's go, unless I get to do this, this, and this, well, then I'm not going to believe. I, and we can, we, can, we, can, we can relate to Thomas. Like, it's like, man, we ask God for certain things. We want certain things from God. But not only that, I think we doubt. We wrestle with God being real sometimes, some days, some moments. And we think for some reason that makes us uh, less of a follower of Jesus because our faith is not 100% all the time. That we're, we're believing for big things and we don't see them. And then we start to doubt and we go, man, am I even a Christian anymore? Or am I even really all in on this whole thing or am I just part way? And so we get this. And not only that, Thomas probably feels a little left out. It's like, Jesus, why'd you show up when I wasn't there? I think we can relate to that feeling too. But then eight days later, Jesus makes an intentional appearance after his resurrection. He says, I'm gonna show up on the scene, Thomas, and I'm gonna speak right to what you're asking. And so this is what he does. He says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. What I'm not saying is just go off and ask God for something and just expect him to show up. I think that would be bad theology. But what I am saying is that if you're wrestling with God and you are doubting and you look at the scripture here and you see what it's saying, Thomas here wants the truth. And I believe that Jesus encourages us to investigate the truth, investigate his claims, investigate the resurrection, investigate what the Bible says about him. And when we're open, when we're really open to what the scripture says, not trying to find a way out, that he will reveal himself as true. And so that you can come to God and you can go, Jesus, man, I'm, help me with my unbelief. Help me with my doubt. Help me with what I'm experiencing. And I believe he, he will. When we're confused, I think Jesus calls us by our name, Mary. When we're afraid, I think Jesus gives us peace. Shalom. And when we doubt, I think it's Jesus who gives us the faith. You know, a lot of times we think it's because <clears throat> we got to have greater faith. Like, man, I need to have more faith. And the truth is, it's never been about your faith. It's always been about Jesus giving you the faith to believe. It's not about you holding on to him. It's about him holding on to you. And we f sometimes forget that in all the pain and all the loss in our lives. And this last year has been such a tough one. Maybe this life has been a tough one and we forget that and we lose sight of that. We lose sight of the promise because of all the motions that we experience, all the things that are going on in our lives. But as I said from the very beginning this morning with announcements and everything that, that I believe that Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at, not where you think you need to be or how you need to clean yourself up and all it's like look at these people they're a mess you know how I know they're a mess I want, I want to read something to you from the very 
<laughs> from moments before that Jesus is sharing with his disciples at the last meal, moments before he's going to be handed over, hours before he's going to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world, he tells them these exact words. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I want to invite the worship team up here at this moment. But I just want to sit here for a final thought with you. What have you lost this last year? What have you lost in this life? We've all lost something. We've lost relationships the way they used to be. We have lost the people closest to us because they have passed on from this world. We have, we're on, some of us are on unemployment here. Some of us have lost a job. We've lost a career. We have lost so much. And all these emotions come over us and we, we wrestle with them. And we start losing sight when we start feeling despair or confused or, man, any of these emotions of doubt and fear and going, I don't know what's next. And we can lose sight of what God has promised. We can lose sight of all the things. And we're like, God, why don't you show up in my doubt? God, why don't you show up in my fear? Why don't you just remove the anxiety? And we start making these requests. And they seem reasonable at first. They really do. But I believe that there's a promise before that that Jesus is speaking to in our lives. And he's saying, hey, I said, can you, can you just put that slide up one more time? Thanks. I told you these things before they happen. Like when we read the scripture and we read the Bible and we read the promises, he goes, I've told you these things so you can hold on to them. So they can be steadfast in your life. So that when everything falls apart and COVID hits the world and everything goes south, I want you to know it's not a moment to panic. It's not a moment to run for the hills. It's not a moment to lock your house. It's not a moment to stand on your beliefs as if you're going to lose them. No, no, no. This is the moment that you come and you believe. This is not it. We have, oh man, we've done so much this last year. And I get it. Look at the emotions the disciples are feeling moments after. Like, they lost sight of the resurrection no matter how many times Jesus told them before he went to the cross. And we read scripture and we oftentimes lose sight of that in our lives. That, man, that God said this would happen. That Jesus said this would happen. That the world one day would end. That we would be infringed upon. That we would be troubled. That we would have persecution. That we would have all these things. And he said, this is not the moment to freak out. This is the moment that you believe. That you hold fast. 
that you grab. You want to cling to something? Cling to the word of God in this season. Hold that thing tight. Hold it with everything you've got and say, this is what I'm betting on. Because I know we're all feeling it right now. And we're taking those emotions out on each other, then rallying together and going, hey, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm sorry you're feeling this. We don't need to compare pain. We don't need to compare losses. We don't need to, we're all experiencing it. This is a moment where we come together and we go, it's tough. But it's because it's so tough and because it hurts and because of the pain that God is bringing me to a deeper belief. Now bring me back to our last slide here, the, the title slide. Thank you. We've engaged in this series of following through John so that we would come to a deeper belief. And there's two ways to do that. One, John is speaking to those who don't know Jesus, who don't claim him to be Lord, who don't claim anything about him, don't even know him. That's what John's speaking to in this gospel when he writes this account. But he's also speaking to those of us who already believe and he's saying, hey, here's what I want to do. I want to convince you more than you're already convinced that Jesus is real. That's what he wants to do. So he wants to take us from wherever we're at in the journey of following Jesus and bring us along the path. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus will meet you right where you're at in your pain and your loss. And he will restore you. He will redeem you. That's the promise. And so I want to hold on to that this morning. And if there's someone out there right now, I just, I want to invite you into a prayer to surrender your life to Jesus. That's just what I want you to do. You're like, man, I've, I've tried this Jesus thing. I've given up on Jesus. I've given up on Christians. And I want to say, man, I, I want to invite you back. I want to invite you in and tell you, man, hold on to the promise of God. So pray with me right now. If you've already accepted Jesus, pray for those people out there right now that need to surrender their life to Jesus. And so if that's you out there and you have not surrendered your life, I'm gonna invite you to say these words. Lord, I need you. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. I need the promise. And I know that I am a sinner and I have fallen short, but I believe in your death and resurrection. I believe your death was enough for my sins and I believe your resurrection has the power to raise me back to life. And I wanna make you king of my life. And simply just say, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Amen.